Welcome to the Be Real podcast. I am your host, Diana Gasparoni. I am a visionary psychotherapist, CEO, and founder of Be Well Psychotherapy and Be Her programs. Along with my amazing co-hosts, Anisha Salisbury and Divya Robin, each week we will talk about the journey of mental health wellness. We will talk about why your mental health is just as important as your physical health and the connection that being mentally well has on all areas of your life. We will be interviewing psychotherapists from various disciplines and schools of thought, doctors from both Eastern and Western disciplines, authors, change makers, thought leaders, and more. Our mission is to bring you information that is both thought-provoking and encourages you to look closer at your mental and emotional well-being. We will give you tips and insights to taking the next steps, or if you have already gotten in the door, to go deeper. Each week, we are going to have real conversations, helping you work through your mental wellness questions, reminding you that you are not alone. Mental health is my passion. I practice what I preach. I know that the struggle is real. It is our mission to touch as many souls as we can with this content, leading you to a place of mental clarity and well-being. So for the next hour, let's work together and look underneath the surface and get real. Welcome back to Be Real. Hello. It's me, Hello, hello, And it's Anisha Salisbury. Here we are again together, um, working from home, each other's homes separately. And so this morning we were talking about what it would be like to get out of the house and go on vacation. And uh, and you should drop this one. I am going (laughs) to Jamaica. (laughs) So uh, we were talking about how, we just need a change of scenery at this time. You know, I think that we've been living in this pandemic for maybe four and a half months now. And um, it's getting rough. Not to say that it wasn't rough before. I think that, you know, in the beginning I struggled. And then, you know, I was like, okay, this is my life. This is what it is. But now that the summer has hit, I think it's gotten a little harder to be indoors. My husband and I have friends who are getting married. And so we're going to a wedding. And it is in Jamaica and is at a beautiful resort. And I couldn't be more excited. So the interesting thing is, is that Jamaica only has 737 COVID cases. So, you know, they want to make sure that if you are from New York, Florida, Arizona, or Texas, (laughs) you are required to have a test, Diana, within seven days of when you, no, excuse me, within 10 days of when you arrive. You have to have a negative COVID test within 10 days of when you arrive in Jamaica. Oh, so wait, you have to, are you tested? You'll be tested before you leave, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you get to Jamaica, you have to be tested. I mean, you're not going to be there for 10 days. No, no. They want you to be tested within 10 days of your arrival date. You have to be tested. You have to feel like, fill out this travel assessment form where they ask you about like your health and your exposure to COVID. And so, yeah. And um, I'm hearing it's kind of hard to leave that there's a possibility of a test when you are leaving. So I have to read a little bit more on that, but yeah, I am excited. I'm excited for you. Are you going to get stuck in Jamaica? You're going in a grill, right? Um, 
I'm going to the grill. I've never been to the grill. I've been to Montego Bay. Um, so I don't think I would be upset about getting stuck in Jamaica since I don't have to be in the office right now. I could work from anywhere. So that wouldn't be the worst thing. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know how I'm gonna feel if you are stuck in Jamaica. We are we're gonna do the podcast and you're gonna be like on that seven mile strip of beach. I have been to Negril. Um, I highly recommend that you have dinner at the Rock House. It's beautiful. I had a I had a big birthday celebration there, and I loved. But I it. did not make it to. You, you did not make <laughs> it to I'm that one. Sad about. <laughs> but I will have another big birthday. I will have another. There will be more milestones, and will the pandemic will be over by then because it's a long it's a long way off, and we'll go someplace else. I mean, in my mind. I'm going to be in the South of France for that birthday because it seems, you know, appropriate. So mm-hmm. we have plenty of time to plan that one. Um, I am a little jealous though. I can't lie. I like, <laughs> of course, I as, get soon it. As, as soon as you told me, I realized that my passport expired in the pandemic. And so next week I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to, I'm going to go to the passport office and I'm going to see what I can do all masked up. Going to go just so that I will be on the ready for when I'm ready to, um, when I'm ready to travel. I mean, am I ready to travel? I am kind of ready to travel. I'm having like, I could use a change change of scenery um, for sure. Yeah. I know we started out and I was like, oh, I'm going to go to California. I'm going to go to this. I'm going to do that. I'm like, really? I don't know. what. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's just good to look forward to something. I haven't had much to look forward to. Um, I will say over the uh, 4th of July weekend, um, I went to Newport, Rhode Island in Connecticut because they have the least number of COVID cases. (laughs) (laughs) You have water and just kind of sit on the beach. Was amazing. I'm listen, if I survived COVID in New York City, which has the most cases, then I'm not about to go somewhere else and catch it. Okay. That makes sense. So I mean, be extra careful, but yeah. 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 I mean, I think that other parts of the country are catching up to us though. Right now. They are. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're not going to um, go there. <laughs> no, but you're in Texas or Florida or no, Arizona. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, no, but you're definitely inspiring me to really like pull the trigger. I've been looking at different Airbnbs and figuring out where where we're going to go. So you are inspiring me to make sure that I change my scenery. Um, and speaking of California, our guest today, we yes. woke her up at the crack of dawn, her time, um, to be on our show. So uh, today we are... <laughs> who's got many milestone birthdays ahead of her. This, this, this young thing. Generation Z. Generate like on the cusp, bless her heart. So Carrie Zhang is the founder of the Asian Mental Health Project, an initiative that aims to educate and empower Pan-Asian communities in making mental health care more accessible. Founded in 2019, the project currently uses social media, multimedia content creation, and community events to destigmatize topics of mental health, critical social issues, and provide tangible resources. Our conversation with her, she's so impressive, and what she is doing for her community and communities at large are 
it's just, it's super, super, super powerful. This 23 year old powerhouse. So sit back, put your feet up, have a listen and, uh, yeah, make sure you tell us what you think. As you know, I am a huge supporter of therapy. And if there was ever a time to prioritize your mental well-being, it's now. As the founder of Be Well Psychotherapy, I am proud to announce my team is leading the way in online therapy. Be Well is based in New York City, and we were one of the first practices to pivot to online therapy with the outbreak of COVID-19. With over 15 licensed therapists, Be Well offers a variety of methodologies and approaches so you can select a therapist that is a good fit for you. We help individuals of all ages, including kids, teens, couples, and wait for it, we even have online group therapy. There is no need to struggle alone with feelings of depression, anxiety, isolation, grief, or loss. To learn more, visit BeWellPsychotherapy.com or text BeWell, that's one word, to 484848 to get connected with a therapist today. Again, that's BeWellPsychotherapy.com or text BeWell, one word, B-E-W-E-L-L, to 484848 to get connected to a therapist today. And now back to our amazing show. Hello, it's me, Diana Gasparoni, and it's Be Real and Adnisha. Hey, <laughs> I am here as well. Sorry, guys. Um, you know, we are still at home. So I was trying to fix my screen. <laughs> So I can see everybody. <laughs> I know. I'm excited that I can see it right now. I can see everybody. So um, we're at episode, I think this is episode 19. And our, um, the focus this month is Minority Mental Health Month. So we're super excited about our guests today. And Carrie, thank you for getting up this morning. Yay. <laughs> well, let's just jump right in. So why don't you, Carrie, tell us a little bit about you and who you are? Yeah. Well, hi, everybody. It's so nice to be here. I'm Carrie. Uh, I am the founder of the Asian Mental Health Project. But by day, I actually work in PR and communications. I'm just a really passionate mental health advocate and an avid organizer. (laughs) (laughs) Just really on spreadsheets all the time. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Maybe later we can talk about how you can organize my spreadsheets. <laughs> I just I went into my Google Docs today and I was like, oof. Yikes. It's a scary world in there. Um, okay, so we're just gonna jump right in and how we wanna know, like we've both been to Anisha found you on Instagram. We um we spent some time, as we recently learned, I have also been on your Instagram, um, but I was on your website and watched your video and it was very compelling. So let's just jump right in and ha- tell us your journey on how this all started. Yeah. Well, thank you so much uh, for having me on the show again. And then, you know, thank you for um, watching the video and stalking the gram. It's great. <laughs> Um, yeah, so basically how I got here now. So um, this project started around a year and a half ago, and it really was based on my own mental health journey. Like I said, I'm not by any means a mental health professional, but basically a year and a half ago, <laughs> honestly, I was just in a really um, like muddled space in my life. I was actually looking because I think a lot of my mental health issues that I have now, I have 
you know, I, I go through like anxiety, depression, and PTSD um, currently. And a lot of that, I think, stemmed from how I grew up, particularly high school through college. So I was sort of looking at my old high school's resources uh, to see like what they had for kids now. Um, I guess like a year and a half ago now, that was that was where I'm at. Um, <laughs> and the resources were so outdated. And I was like, wow, I really wish I had more resources growing up. I wish it was more visible for me as an Asian woman to talk about my mental health because I really do believe that if we had destigmatized conversation earlier or if we could destigmatize conversation earlier, uh, a lot of mental health issues could be either prevented or better managed. Following my own mental health journey, I really wasn't able to seek help until in college. Basically, I went to the doctor to... Um, I hope my mom doesn't listen to this, but <laughs> I went to get an STI check um, just because I was worried and um, it was following an incident that had happened previously. And so I sort of joked to my doctor, she was like, why are you getting this test? And I was like, well, you know, definitely want to provide a content warning. You know, I was like, oh, forced entry. haha!" <laughs> like I was really just joking about it because I didn't understand what had happened. Um, and so she like immediately called mental health services at my university. And then so that was sort of my journey into there. And then by then I was seeking uh, help from group therapy, an individual therapist, and then uh, a psychiatrist. So I could put on, get put on uh, to anxiety medication. And so that was sort of how my journey started. And so if it wasn't for that traumatic incident, and if those like specific line of events didn't occur, I don't think I would be getting mental health care today. I wouldn't know to seek it just because it wasn't talked about at all. And in fact, it's, it's actually shamed a lot in you know, my family and my culture. Um, so I'm hoping that this project now destigmatizes it so that people will feel more empowered to go seek mental health care. A year and a half ago, when this started, um, I had interviewed around like 50 folks who wanted to, who were interested in this topic and felt very strongly about this as well. Um, and we sort of started this project. Um, and now, flash forward to today, we are currently running a social media account that hopes to make mental health care education more digestible. Uh, we try to host weekly community wellness check-ins where I bring in a mental health practitioner uh, or a health practitioner to sort of uh, lead conversation of a topic of their choice in a way to like demystify mental health care, but also provide that community mutual support. Um, and then we try to host monthly larger community events and conversations that really contextualize I guess, the Pan-Asian experience. Um, we do want to bring in somewhat of a, like definitely a, a social justice lens, uh, analyzing race, identity, culture, and how that affects us today, and then how that affects our mental health. Wow. That's my life. <laughs> uh, you are busy. You are busy. And right, this isn't your full-time job. So first, let's start with, thank you for sharing your story. That is a very powerful story. And I'm so happy to hear that you were in front of a healthcare provider who was new enough right then to send you to, to get services. So I'm glad that that journey started under traumatic, traumatic circumstances, but that that was the next trajectory for you and that you are now this amazing advocate with, I mean, you, that's a full-time job. What you just what you just told us was a full-time job. So <laughs> it's, um, I want to know more about, um, but I know Anisha has a, has a question. So I'm going to, I'm going to let because <laughs> I know she does. I can tell. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to start talking. So go. 
No, it's fine. So I just wanted to back it up a little bit more and kind of go back to your mental health journey. After you actually started therapy, you did the medication and you had group therapy. Was this something that you were open to talking about with anyone after you started therapy? Because you talk so much about the guilt and kind of the shame. And I do realize that it's a privilege to be able to talk about feelings, right? As an African-American woman, I know that sometimes me talking about my emotions and my feelings is not something that people want to hear at times, especially in my family. Were you able to, and did you feel empowered maybe in some way to talk to people more about your journey since you had gotten help at that point? Thank you for that question. And thank you for sharing your personal experience as well. So honestly, no, it was really difficult to be open about that experience. And to many degrees, I'm not all that open about it to my immediate circles. I'm open about it to my friends and and folks who are sort of in the same like age group uh, that I'm able to sort of discuss these things about. But to my family, I really haven't talked about this at all. My mom and I, so this, I guess my mental health care journey started two to three years ago. And I had only started talking about this with my mom um, because of COVID-19, actually. Um, I'm actually quarantined at her place now. And so we had a our first really open heart to heart about this just a few months ago. Um, so I sort of kept it, I don't know if I want to keep it a secret, but I just brushed it off completely for two to three years. And so finally opened up to my mom about it because I recently started seeking therapy again, virtually. So she was just like, what are you doing? Like poking her head there. And so I had to open it up because you, know, you can't say no to a mom's face in your door. <laughs> right. um, so, yeah, so basically, it, it's still not very talked about in my family and in my community, um, so much so that even as a avid mental health advocate, I still really struggle to find the words to open up just about my own experience. So I therapy at home virtually in your mom's house. Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was a hundred years ago that I was on the phone. I was not quarantined, however, but I had kept a relationship with my therapist and moved back in with my parents. And I just, I'm empathizing with what that's like because you have so many things that you really want to talk about. And then you don't, you don't know if you're ready to let your parents know where, what those those thoughts and feelings are. How is how's she taken it? How's she taken you being in therapy? Does she has she brought it up again? I mean, we we don't want to out your mom too much, but <laughs> but let's is she is she comfortable with it? Is I guess is the question. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um my mom, I think these days she is comfortable with it. It's been really interesting, sort of like as I've come into like adulthood being able to talk to my mom more openly about feelings, whereas I wasn't able to growing up at all. So I was really shocked when I had told her and I was like bracing myself for <laughs> potential repercussions. And she was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> and I was like, wow, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess to speak on that, then I, I it sort of disproved my, my initial fear of um, wanting to talk to my mom about it. So it's created something that's more open, but I'm still very apprehensive and pensive to to talk to her about everything going on just because it was highly stigmatized um, growing up. And yeah. <laughs> Have you been surprised by the support that you're given like for this project and all the people who are willing to, you know, help and want their voice to be heard? Yes, I have been surprised by the support and traction of this 
project to an extent, you know, of course, when starting, I was, I started in the framework of sort of knowing what is happening in my community and how mental health is not talked about. So I sort of knew that there would be support or agreements in some regard. But in the beginning, I did like conduct 50 interviews and sort of asked some key questions. And though everyone's experience was unique and different, there are a lot of key factors that I was surprised by, mainly pertaining to their like mental health experience. And a lot of it had to do with, you know, questioning their self-worth, using success as as like a as like a measure for self-worth. There was a lot of self-loathing. Um, that was like a key theme that I found in literally every person that I had interviewed in the beginning to sort of see like what was actually going on. So I was sort of surprised to see those very key, very devastating elements within these Asian folks that I got to talk to in the beginning. So I was surprised by that. But in terms of how the project has grown, I'm also surprised by that because I really didn't expect so much in the beginning. I was like, you know what, if this can maybe help connect one person to one therapist like that, that would be enough. But it's growing still, and I'm really excited to see where it's going. So I want to know how you how you created your survey, what <laughs> and where you and where you got your sample size because I think that that's like. Let me back up. Uh, Anish and I were talking about this earlier, millions of years ago, when I was working. <laughs> I, I'm having I'm having an age issue this week, so it's all coming out in my own. Like yes, I'll and I'll work that out in my own therapy later, but. <laughs> At the beginning of my career, I worked uh, for an organization, and the organization itself, uh, the population was uh, one third black and brown, one third Asian, and one third white. And so we had to we had a intake form, right? It was an education it was an education based organization, and I was the director of social services. So in our intake form, that was all that when we got to the part about mental health, we had to rewrite it for the Asian community because of the way that we wrote the questions, yeah. right? Like there were no, and I brought in social workers from um, NYU, the students to help me like with the translation and all of it. Yeah. And they were like, nope, you can't ask it this way. You can't ask it this way. You can't ask mm-hmm. it this way. And the language that I had used forever that I was like, oh, oh. So I learned a lot, right? Like, and mm-hmm. how to, and we were talking about how if we're not talking about depression because depression isn't something that maybe is talked about in Asian communities, how do yeah. we get how do we get to the answer that we need? So yeah. when you were coming up with your questions, what was your process? Like, how'd you do it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it so I had started this interview process in the beginning just as sort of like, a, hey, is anybody actually interested in this? So I posted on Instagram, uh, literally a little blurb that was saying like, hey, I think I'm, I'm thinking about making this project. I'd love to hear from you. Like, what's going on? Can God, you- I love millennials. Yeah. <laughs> so, send it out. <laughs> Just let's ask the world a question. Go ahead. <laughs> and then people slid in my DMs. And I was like, all right, all right. Okay. Slid then, right in. I know. (laughs) And then so for them, I scheduled phone calls with everybody to see how they'd like to get involved. And that sort of started the interview process. So a few of the questions um, that we asked were, you know, like, how was mental health talked about in your family or growing up? And then like, do you how do you think stigma affects 
your mental health journey today? What problems do you see, uh, particularly in the Asian community or in your individual experience that stigma and language barriers and financial barriers cause? And again, like, what are some of the barriers you've had to seeking mental health care? Those were sort of the key questions that I asked along with like, what do you think, what resources do you think could be built to sort of be solutions to these problems? And yeah, so it was by no means a formal survey. It was just, I was like, I just wanted to sort of figure out what was going on. Um, So basically, I just hopped on the phone with people and typed up everything that I could possibly try to type up in, in an effort to formulate like the best resources to create that would be most helpful to this community. Wow. I mean, I love that you just kind of went for it, you know, and I think that that's the beauty of it. Sometimes if we think about it too much, we may not do it. So you just kind of went for it and was like, okay, we'll see what works. So it seems like one of your core, your, excuse me, your core populations is millennials. I was thinking about that because your main vehicle of awareness is social media. So do you think that you're able to get this message to like an older Pan-Asian community? So not only for themselves, but maybe so it could be easier for them to connect with their children. No, thank you for asking that. Because that is actually one of the core goals that I wouldn't say I necessarily lost sight of, but I, I do want to focus on again in the future. But one of the core goals was bridging that gap. The main problems is the gap between our immigrant parents and then us, right? That, that, not only is there a generational gap, there's a language barrier, and there's also a, a literal culture gap and, and location gap, um, and how we grew up is very different. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to pursue but haven't done yet was to write, you know, sort of translated um, multimedia campaigns that we would pitch to um, local um, local Asian media. So, for example, my parents, the way they got they, the way they got their information and the way they learned about uh, stuff that's going on in the U.S. is is local, like Chinese, Taiwanese news stations. And my mom still, like every night, she'll go on YouTube and and she's like, "Bye, good night. I'm gonna go watch Taiwanese news now." <laughs> 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 so that's sort of how she um, gets her information. And so one of the things that we want to do is is sort of translate what is going on. Um, I guess in my my generation, the millennial. Uh, I was born in 96. So I'm like the cusp of Gen Z, but I'm not on TikTok. So I don't feel that Gen Z. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's I was I on TikTok for a minute. Oh so there we go. That's just because it makes me feel young. <laughs> I'm working it out. I'm working it out. <laughs> it's a very it's fun I've, I've been on it a couple times that I delete it because I'm like what's happening because um, oh, it's a rabbit hole but anyway I digress go ahead <laughs> so yeah um so yeah no that's we I do want to think of more way and that's I think sort of a gap in what we're doing now is how do we reach the audience of, of those who raised us and those sort of in between millennial and and those who raised us um because that is so important as well um something that we talk about a lot is intergenerational trauma and sort of the cycle that creates um and i'm seeing it a lot in my own family and um with the the people that i talk to like my my dad went through like just unimaginable things like famine um cultural revolution poverty. Um, and so growing up, he would always tell us these stories. And it was just something that, you know, like, as a kid, you sort of like, Oh, okay, dad, but but realizing that that was something that was deeply traumatic and painful now. And, you know, there, there's sort of that difficulty in in bridging that gap of understanding and empathy for our parents, because a lot of 
what had happened to me as a child and and how I was raised is is a product of that trauma that my parents carried over. And I didn't understand that until very recently. So, you know, now the question is like, how do we further bridge that gap, um, not just for myself, but for for folks all around this community? Because that that's just it's just such a prevalent issue. I love that you brought up intergenerational trauma. Um, I think that when you said that, I thought about how uh, my father is 78 years old Mm -hmm. and he lived in pre-civil rights Alabama, right? And he was a part of the Alabama bus boycott. He has experienced racism in 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 a very different way. And so how that, you know, trauma kind of stays with him. And I think about my dad actually... Um, a couple of years back, and I'll, I guess I'll tell the story now I'm here. Um, a couple of years back, um, my father was hospitalized and we thought that he had a stroke. And so we went to the hospital to check on him and I looked at his records and I was reading and it said dysthymia, which is a type of depression. I had no idea. My brother, I told him because, you know, I knew what it was. It didn't say depression. It said this time me and my brother didn't know what that was. So I talked to him about it. And I remember after my father got out of um, the hospital, I was like, you know, hey, dad, we should talk. Right. Like I, I read this and I was like, you know, it says that you have depression. So can we talk about that? And my community is not really something that you talk about mental health in that way. And we definitely don't want to name these things either. That's, there's this uncomfortability around naming what it actually is. Yep. And so talking to him about it, and when I mentioned it to him, he just cried. And it was kind of an unbelievable thing that he's been sitting with this. Now there's a name for it, and I'm talking to him about it, and I'm asking him, what can we do? And he just didn't have the words, Carrie. Just that trauma that he has held on to and just that stigma around him getting help. You know, it's still something that we work with now, but, you know, just the thought of our parents having maybe this like symptoms or, or issues and not talking about it because it's not something that they feel like should be talked about, that is, they're supposed to kind of keep it to themselves. So I'm so glad that you are out here on the front line, you know, advocating. So maybe if you do run into, you know, a Gen Z person and their parents are struggling with mental health, they know mm-hmm. how to talk to them about it. Yeah. It's just about language. Like I have a language that my dad doesn't have and you guys now have a language that your parents don't have. Sorry if I brought the room down. No, that was, <laughs> thank you, you for bring, sharing. You didn't bring the room down. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And I know your dad. So mm-hmm. um, I, I, I'm having a moment of the two of you together. So that oh. is, um, that is, it's very, it's warming my heart. And yeah. Carrie, you are, what a powerhouse over there at, at your side hustle. That is <laughs> amazing. I mean, you're changing the world. So, oh. but the, in the intergen, in that conversation in the intergenerational trauma and just being able to bridge the gap, being so mindful that you're going to translate it and have it available. I mean, I've seen when I've worked with families who we have the parents who are still trying to figure out what, what is happening in a new world and young people are like, okay, but this is my world and how Mm -hmm. to really talk about it. And that, that trauma right there is something that you are so mindfully looking at and 
making resources available so that when that impact, because you like you're out of the house, you're at school when we could go to school, Um, (laughs) (laughs) when that was a thing, when we went to school and that was a thing, but like all day you're, you're in a different culture, you're speaking English, you're doing all these things and then you go home and then there's a whole nother cultural dynamic that happens and you have to shift gears so quickly Yeah, and you are bringing language to what is happening to like directly in, I, w- I, I don't know. I, w- I wish you had been, been with me when I was working, <laughs> when I was working for that organization, but what, what a special thing to be able to bring out into the world. Uh, I'm really, I'm, I'm so excited about it. And I know, I mean, I know from working in your community in community in Pan Asian communities that it is so necessary. Yeah. I'm like, I'm in my head, I'm stuck in a school in Chinatown. So I'm like, you know, I've been in the school in Chinatown and what it looks like and like where, like what resources are there and then bringing kids out of Chinatown just, and I'm using it as an example and just like into different parts of the city itself and like what that was like for the students. Right. Like, and then it's just, it's, it's such a, such a gift of immersion, right? Like you're bringing all the cultures together and like finding a way to, to make peace. And I, I can't say enough. Carrie, I wanted to ask, um, what are the biggest barriers to mental health treatment that you see in a pan Asian community? And as a non Asian therapist, what would you like me to know in reference to treating the pan Asian community? Yeah. Well, thank you for that question. Um, In terms of barriers that I see for the Asian community, um, definitely, as mentioned before, cultural stigma. Um, But beyond that, just like because there's stigma, um, there really is not like set language to talk about, to talk about mental health, particularly as terms are more developed in like the Western, like Western regions, like those don't necessarily translate exactly to, to like the Pan-Asian um, regions and community. Um, for example, I, I still don't really know what the word depression is in, in Chinese, which I speak Mandarin uh, to my folks at home. Um, and so yeah, there's sort of that cultural barrier. And then there's also a language barrier between, you know, sort of immigrant families and then um, American born children as I am. And I am just speaking from my experience. There's such a wide range of experiences with folks in the Pan-Asian community. But yeah, definitely cultural stigma. I would say language barriers and, and learning how to talk about that. And also financial barriers are definitely a large thing in, in, a, in a finance sense. It is, it is difficult to pay for therapy a lot of times. But two, it's also difficult because of stigma, because of language. It's hard to sometimes justify the cost of therapy, particularly if you're young or even now. Like I, I was, It was so hard for me to justify the cost of therapy um, for myself. Um, luckily, I have a very good, like inclusive um, insurance plan with my current job. So that's great. Mm-hmm. But if I didn't have right. that, it would still be really difficult to justify the cost of therapy because of the stigma, because of that sort of like, oh, I can push through it myself. I don't need therapy. Sort of. The that value sort of is not there. I yeah. guess the value is not there, right? You just don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So I think those three things sort of blended together are what I see are, are large barriers to um, mental health care in the Pan-Asian community. I want to go back to um, the that there you can't find the word for depression in Mandarin because I think that that's really important. I always ask if I'm working with somebody who is non-white who what their original language is and what they what they dream in, right? So like if you if you are dreaming in in Mandarin and you're not dreaming in English and you don't have 
language for something like depression because and where and I'm like are you depressed and you're like I don't know what that is so mm-hmm. like being able to make that that connection that feeling connection is really like you need the language to go and the thought to sort of meld together so yeah we have we're gonna it's important for us as clinicians to know that like if you don't have that thought <laughs> then, then we're, not, we're gonna have we have to go we have to go around the word to get yeah. to the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I think it sometimes comes down to maybe explaining symptoms, right? Like asking yes. about your eating habits and your sleeping habits and are you concentrating, right? Like mm-hmm. kind of to get to that place because just asking the question and the same in the black community, like if you just ask someone, are they depressed? They're probably just going to say no. Yeah. Right. But if you ask me, do I have all these other things going on? And I say, yes. And, and then you'll get you, then you'll tell me like, Oh, then you're depressed because I don't have the language. I need yeah. you to tell me what that is. Yeah. So I think that that is really important. And when you were talking about barriers, I, I was talking, I was thinking also about just lack of resources. Right? Yeah. So if you don't have the language for something, then the resources may not be there and you may not know how to get to them. Definitely. Yeah. So I think that what you're doing, you're providing um, resources for people. You know, when I look at your Instagram and, you know, you're talking to people about like, have you eaten today? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and about self-care and how are you taking care of yourself? Um, those are resources that people need. And actually, where do I find a therapist? Yeah. Where do you find a therapist? Carrie? Where do I specifically where find do, a therapist? Where do you, where, where <laughs> are you finding therapists for this project? Well, thank you for um, answering and asking. <laughs> I do that a lot. I do that a lot. I, 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 I have a lot of statements. And then finally, there's a question. I'm, no. I'm working, working on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I sort of want to backtrack on what I was saying earlier, like the language and the resources, those sort of like mesh together. Like, mm-hmm. I, I personally don't know the word for depression, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's it exists. I, I've just well, I mean, I don't think it does actually. I don't speak Mandarin, but that was one of the things that I came up against when we were trying to translate that. And I had a, a Mandarin and Cantonese speaker, and they were going through my psychosocial, like my intake form, and they were like, "We don't have a word for this." Yeah. So, I mean, I have a sample of three people, you and the two social workers. They were both adamant that there was no word for depression. And again, I don't, I don't speak Mandarin. So, but I really don't think there is. Go on. <laughs> no, that's very interesting. Just because, yeah, I, 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 that's something I guess I need to Google <laughs> directly after this. Time. I'm a little like, oh, how could I not know? But there really might not be the word for that. And there is a lack of resources that connects with that language barrier. Um, so in terms of finding resources for my project, um, that's something that's very important to me. One, to answer your question, how do we find a therapist uh, for myself and for the project? Um, I personally use psychology today because that seems to be like industry standard, able yeah. to <laughs> type things in. But actually, this also stemmed from me being a little frustrated with psychology today, just because, you know, I don't know. I think they do have languages there, but it doesn't talk necessarily about culturally competent care or care that is actively anti-racist or or care that is rooted in empathy. So a lot of um, the issues that I see, going back to the previous question, um, something that I would like, I guess, non-Asian therapists to know is um, I was reading this article recently about how a lot of non-Asian therapists sort of just attribute, like there's there's that 
model minority myth saying that Asians mm-hmm. have to, are successful. Um, they are, you know, the, the, the model minority essentially and always hardworking. Um, so they sort of attribute every mental health issue that Asian patients have to like, oh, you know, it's probably because of all the, the pressures and, and the, your, your struggle to be successful. That's why you have all these things. So it's sort of like stereotyping the Asian patient. So I just, I guess I ask of non-white therapists to one, unpack that model minority myth and how that plays into your perception of the Pan-Asian folks that you treat. And two, yeah, just genuinely learning and contextualizing the Asian American experience, because there's so much history there um, that my project does hope to unpack and bring, make more accessible. Like, like how did we as Asian American, as I as an Asian American, how did I get here? What things in history had to happen for my family to have immigrated here or sorry, my pa- my parents have immigrated here met and then like how did I come to this and you know in that we have to analyze social justice movements in the past we have to analyze the role of racism um, and you know white supremacy in every system that we have and how does that model minority myth play into that that's something that I uh, actively try to imp- unpack with this project and hope that other folks can unpack unpack it too, whether it's in their practice or just in their day-to-day lives. Um, and so a lot of the resources that we provide our audience and our community, um, I try to, um, when people ask like, hey, where do I find a therapist? There are a few, um, I guess, really cool <laughs> websites and resources <laughs> that I find. Um, inclusivetherapist.com oh. provides like therapists that are, um, you know, culturally competent uh, and have that sort of social justice lens. Ayana Therapy, I think, is is a therapist uh, matching service there. I believe they're a startup company. I could be wrong, but they are also a good resource to, to seeking a therapist. Um, and we do, we actually are just building our new resources page to include all of these, these different resources that sort of focus on culturally competent care. We work with a brand called Advocate and they're a therapist matching service. So they sort of mostly, you know, they'll match you with therapists and they'll handle the financial part of it because there was so much back and forth when, in my own personal journey of, does my insurance cover this? Does it, do I, what, what is Magellan? Like, I didn't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> I asked my roommate about that and that, that's the only reason why I found it. So that sort of takes down the financial barrier of that. And there's Sondermine. And I'm just seeing a lot of, um, you know, mental health startups these days sort of taking on this task of like, how do I find a therapist? But there's still that, you know, cultural competence and inclusivity that I would really like to see in more of these services and in, I guess, non-Asian or um, non-like BIPOC therapists. Yeah, that was a long that, ramble. That was, <laughs> that was a perfect answer to the question. <laughs> it was really, it's, it's so, you're, so thoughtful about what's going on in this project. I mean, you ha- and you have not missed a stone. Like you are like, oh. it's just like one, like you're building and building and building and it's very, very, very thoughtful. So needed. I mean, yeah. really. And I can't believe you're only 26. So there's like, <laughs> but there's a, I mean, you're, you, what you are even at, you are building something that has, will have, I, I, I can't get it out. I think I can't get it out. But the impact that it will have, like I, like it speaks to many, it speak, it doesn't just speak to your generation. It speaks to many people is what I'm trying to say. So I'm very excited for it. Can you, um, I think the next thing I want to know, because you are offering actual live resources right now where your workshops must be virtual now. 
Yes, right? they are virtual. Yes. Okay. So any so anybody anywhere can get onto your into the workshop, right? Like yeah. any anywhere, like here in New York, because we know that you're in California. Yeah. Just so like okay. So tell us a little bit about what the the topics of the workshops and what they look like. Oh, also this is for earlier, just in case. I, I'm 20. Go ahead. Uh, just, just oh my god. <laughs> Damn, so oh, like, oh, okay. Even more amazing. <laughs> Even more amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, all right, girl. No. This is just a start for you, man. This is. Well, I have no idea what's what's happening or what's coming. Oh god. Um, no. <laughs> we do. We're we're gonna project it. We're we we know. We see what's coming for you. Amazing. Go on. Yeah, so as part of our mental health project, we want to make um, tangible resources as accessible as possible. So um, when COVID-19 sort of started and we, we all were quarantined, I was like, man, how do I how do I make this more accessible in a virtual space? So um, we started these community wellness check-ins that happen every week on Wednesday evenings at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Um, and it is open to everyone really around the world who can access, it's on Zoom, so who can access Zoom. And so we've had folks participate um, from Berlin, from New York, LA, Toronto, really anywhere, Kansas. Um, so it's been really cool seeing people come together um, from all around the globe. And so what we do there is we try to bring in uh, a mental health practitioner or another healthcare practitioner to facilitate a topic of their choice. Um, but we also like to keep it relevant to current events. So we've sort of talked about in the past, you know, unpacking collective and racial trauma, um, how to community organize, um, and support um, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, we also unpacked physical therapy. We, we had a session where a physical therapist came in and, and sort of like people would be able to ask about what they were going through and, and have different like stretches and, and different solutions for that as well. So really that holistic like wellness experience is, is sort of what we want to bring with these weekly sessions. Uh, we had a session on self-compassion and um, healing from trauma in that sense. And we do have upcoming sessions about, you know, um, finding something to look forward to, coping skills and stuff like that. But aside from that, so the facilitator sort of takes half the discussion and the the upper half is just it's a place for people to talk about their feelings. There's so much going on and it's really hard to connect with humans at this time as we're quarantined in our own, our own homes. So that sort of serves that purpose of just to build that like friendship and community um, through this weekly space. And aside from that, we also try to host um, different events, virtual um, throughout these months where we had a panel on race, health and COVID-19. Um, and that was really unpacking like how this crisis sort of exacerbated and unveiled um, issues in the States um, about racism and how that affected communities differently. For example, there was, you know, um, a spike in anti-Asian racism. Um, Black and brown Americans are, you know, the most vulnerable and susceptible to COVID-19. Um, how does public health and how does food insecurity play into that and how does that intersect with race? So we really wanted to digest that. And what I wanted to bring was people from different perspectives. Uh, so we brought in a, you know, someone who was a clinical social worker, uh, a race and ethnic studies professor, um, a practicing physician, and then uh, someone who was studying um, public health. So we really wanted to get that um, like collaborative and, and like intersectional viewpoint. And I actually hosted that with uh, another mental health group um, called That Mind Source. They were previously called COVID-19 Group Therapy Project, uh, but that's run by Shay uh, Watt, who's an awesome person. And I could just go on and on about that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah I want to, you know, something that's really important to me. A lot of 
a question that people ask me like, oh, like, do you just focus on Asian stuff? <laughs> and like, yes and no. Like, of course, there is that very specific, those very specific issues in the Asian community. Uh, and even so, the Asian community is like, if you were to, like, this, it's not a monolith. There are so many different parts of Asia and, and how that um, pans out now is is so different for each each community within that that uh, larger umbrella term. So it's not even necessarily fair to say that in that one of my goals, as mentioned before, is to contextualize the Asian experience. And that means unpacking what is going on in the world and how we got here um, from sort of a more globalized, um, like systemic sense, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> it makes so much sense. <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> It makes so much sense. So we're going to make sure that your information is in the show notes. And also um, when we are promoting this podcast on Tuesday, uh, we'll make sure that all of your information and how to find you is, is available to anybody who listens because you have a very powerful thing happening. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's so, again, I'm going to repeat myself and say it's so important, but it's also exceptionally impressive. I mean, you've stu- it's really like, it's so needed. It's, and just what you're talking about, what you're uncovering, who you're bringing into the room to offer services and offer wellness check-ins. What, what an important time and what an exciting, exciting um, steps you are taking because that, like I said, we, we're going to know you for a long time. <laughs> um, so we are getting near the end because we also don't want you to be late for work because we, <laughs> we can, we can, uh, we can do things like have you here drinking coffee with us all day. Um, but to close our show, Nisha's got some questions for you so that we can get to know you just a little bit better. Let's be clear. It is very, very early where you are, right? So my question was going to be, how have you been kind today? But I think I'll be, I'll ask you, how have, how were you kind yesterday? Because <laughs> you haven't had much time. You haven't been up for that many hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. How have I been kind yesterday to myself? Or to anyone okay. or to yourself as well. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Well, so Okay, so this past week, my dog passed away. <gasps> so, so sad. So yesterday, um, you know, I, I really, I, I've been a little on like the the productive, like like sort of don't really want to sit and feel about it yet because I have stuff to do. So yesterday, I sat down with my mom, and we were able to sort of talk about like the impact our our puppy has had on us. Uh, not puppy; he's a very old dog. Um, the impact You're that our dog had on us. I know, always a puppy. Um, and and being able to again sit and have that heart to heart with my mom, which oftentimes I like either don't have time for or feel like a little burnt out to do. Which is, I want to make more space in my own head and and in my own day to sort of have these conversations with my mom. So it was nice to sort of sit down and talk to her about um, that impact and how we felt. Um, so that was nice. I also did a, a face mask. So. That was great yesterday. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> um, I usually don't like to say like, you know, self-care equals masks, but because, you know, it's so much more than that. It's, it's, it's a part of it. Yeah. But it's a part of it. It's, it's a very part of it. <laughs> having, having good clear skin is part of it. And um, <laughs> I'm terribly sorry for your loss. It's Pat, 
um, we haven't heard monkey today, but sometimes monkey makes a guest appearance on our show. (laughs) And uh, I am. Yes. I'm my heart. My heart feels for you. Thank you. Okay. And the fun one, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be okay. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. I'm going to go give monkey a hug in a minute. Anyway. So my last question is, if you could read one person's mind, whose would it be? Ooh. Whoa. Oh my gosh. If I could read one person's mind. Okay. To answer this, I have to think of a person that I don't think I really understand. Mm Mm-hmm. Actually, <laughs> so this goes back to what we're talking. I, I talk a lot about my mom, uh, uh-huh. and open to her, but with my dad, there's more of that language barrier, more of that cultural barrier, and more of, you know, stuff that went on earlier in my life that it has been a little bit difficult to get over. And I, in an effort to understanding him more, it's been difficult because we, he speaks Mandarin mostly and isn't very fluent in English and I, I speak English mostly. I'm not very fluent in Mandarin. So mm-hmm. if I could sit down and have a conversation with my dad and read into his mind and thoughts uh, in a way that he is comfortable, I'm mod- like, I'm modulating this a lot, but I, I do want to sort of understand my dad more as a person. And, you know, that's one of the things I, I hope that I get to do. Like, I don't want to regret that later in my life so I would say I would like to read my dad's mind I love that in an effort to get to know him better yeah that is yeah just that simple yeah Carrie thank you so much this has been a treat and you were so patient with us this morning too so thank you for that as well (laughs) okay okay Anisha let's see if we can do it so we're gonna all right so as always um, we're getting ready to close the show. First, I want to say if anybody is suffering or struggling, please be sure to check out Be Well Psychotherapy if you're in New York City. If you um, need some help and you, it, it, if you are Asian, but it doesn't matter, you can go to the Asian Mental Health Project dot is com or org dot com dot yes. com. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> com for resources. Carrie is located in California. And um, now we're going to do it. Notice I'm getting my hands together. What are we going to do? Okay. We're stopping here and we wash your hands. We're still in a pandemic. Stay safe (laughs) and keep washing your hands. And wear your mask. (laughs) 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 Yes. Stay safe. Keep washing your hands and wear the mask. Okay. Okay. We're going to stop here. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Be Real podcast. Stay connected to us and subscribe to Be Real wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are feeling it, how about a five-star review? If our conversation sparked a question, join us in the Be Real podcast Facebook group. We hope that you have walked away with some new insights, curiosities, and ideas to better help you on your journey to mental wellness and overall well-being. I encourage you to go to BeWellPsychotherapy.com and check out our services and programs. Again, that's BeWellPsychotherapy.com. Okay, we have to stop here, but I'll see you next week.